You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert, and award-winning author, Amy Shojai. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shojai, and today we're talking about National Pet Dental Health Care Month. That brings me to my rant of the week. I'm not a kind of person that shudders at the thought of dog germs from a pooch smooch. And I take it as a compliment if a cat head bumps my nose, but when the pet's breath makes my eyes water, <laughs> I've got to draw the line. I mean, a little tuna breath won't faze me, but if the fumes could peel paint, something's got to be done. And I don't mean feed your dog a peppermint either. Dogs and cats don't brush their teeth, folks, so it's no wonder many of them boast stinky breath or worse. Today on Pet Peeves, we're going to clear the air about pungent pet breath. I'm delighted to introduce you to Dr. Brett Beckman, the president of the American Veterinary Dental Society. Dr. Beckman is one of 40 veterinarians in the world who have completed extensive training to become regarded as both a fellow in the Academy of Veterinary Dentistry and a diplomate in the American Veterinary Dental College. Dr. Beckman also became a diplomate in the American Academy of Pain Management, and he owns and operates a companion animal and referral dentistry and oral surgery practice in Punta Gorda, Florida. So folks, park your furry tails and get comfy, and we'll be right back with Dr. Beckman after these messages. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Dock. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Pets are part of the family, and when traveling with your dog, there's only one magazine to include when packing your doggy's duffel bag, and that's Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Each bi-monthly issue includes hotel, city and state reviews, and doggy destinations to explore with your furry companion. Fido Friendly magazine can be found at Borders, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, Pet Boutiques, and Fido Friendly hotels nationwide. Or you can go online to subscribe at www.fidofriendly.com. So get traveling with your pet today and leave no dog behind. And remember, Fido Friendly's the only magazine dedicated to the travel lifestyle of man's best friend and the one magazine your dog will thank you for. 
It's time to start scratching for donations for the Humane Society of Broward County's Walk for the Animals presented by VCA Animal Hospitals. The walk is Saturday, March 1st at Esplanade Park in downtown Fort Lauderdale. You'll need a registration form, so stop by any VCA Animal Hospital, IHOP, the Museum of Discovery and Science, or the Humane Society. This event is also brought to you by Big 105.9, Comcast, Purina One, PetLifeRadio.com, Tidy Cats, and The Herald. Call 954-266-6817 or log on to Walk the number four, theanimals.com for more details. See you there. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio, and please join me in welcoming Dr. Brett Beckman, President of the American Veterinary Dental Society. Thanks for coming to the show, Doctor. My pleasure, Amy. Thanks for having me. Well, first, let's start off talking a little about yourself. Uh, what pets do you have? Dogs, cats, both? Uh, I bet they don't have stinky breath. Well, most certainly not. Uh, I have a, a cat of 18 years called uh, Possum. And uh, she's, uh, she's my, my favorite and my only. Uh, we recently had a, an elderly uh, border collie named Shelby who passed away uh, from age-related problems. Uh, but Possum, uh, Possum wakes me up every morning. We're glad to have her. That's sweet. My cat's only about 10 years old, and, and I am pleased and proud to say she's got pristine teeth. Wonderful. So what, what, is, what is the deal with pungent pet breath? Why is it such a big deal, Doctor? That's a really good question, Amy, and and to answer that, we have to look at the bacteria that inhabit the mouth, not only uh, dogs and cats, but also our mouths. That sounds nasty with bacteria. Well, it it is in the respect that there are a lot of normal bacteria there that utilize oxygen as their their main um, component to survive, and once the uh, population in the mouth changes to bacteria that don't utilize oxygen, that actually thrive in an environment where there is no oxygen, then we get a change. And, and the bacteria that don't utilize oxygen produce very nasty uh, compounds, uh, much like uh, the same compounds that you smell in rotten eggs. Uh, they're all ah. sulfur compounds, and those uh, uh, the sulfur smell that you smell with the rotten eggs is exactly the same type of compound that these bacteria produce. Well, that doesn't really make you want to let your dog kiss you on the mouth. No, that's, that's not too desirable, especially once you get to the point where you can actually smell that, uh, those odors. So your pet can have bad breath without you really seeing any signs yet. I know a lot of dogs and cats have that kind of cruddy yellow to brown stuff stuck on their teeth. Yes, absolutely. And once you start to smell that odor, you know you've got that bacterial change. And those bacteria are hiding where there is no air. And where, where the air is absent is in the pockets associated with uh, the, the gum. And the deeper those pockets get, the more those bacteria thrive and the worse uh, the breath gets. The tartar that you see, the hard component that's present on the tooth surface, is actually a... a 
calcification or a hardening of the plaque biofilm where all those uh, bacteria live. Well, it sounds kind of complicated. How, how can we, I mean, are there some pets that are at higher risk than, than others? Absolutely. Some of the exotic cats tend to have more problems. Our smaller breed dogs are very susceptible. Uh, Greyhounds uh, tend to have a lot of problems with periodontal disease. So those are the main categories that we see that are at increased risk. So can our dogs and cats get cavities like people would think of, or is it something something different? I, I understand that cats get a kind of a unique type of a, uh, it's called a neck lesion. Uh, absolutely. And dogs and cats don't have the same bacteria that we have in our mouths and that predispose us to cavities. Uh, consequently, they don't get very commonly, they can, but they don't get very commonly the true cavity that's produced by the acid breakdown of the enamel. Cats are unique in that they get tooth uh, resorption problems where by a different mechanism from the way that we get cavities, they form erosions in the cementum and the root structure and in the crown, and those progress uh, fairly uh, moderately, but they do cause pain in many cases and are extremely important uh, in evaluating cats for oral disease. Okay, so periodontal disease is really, that's kind of a long fancy word for for gum disease that involves the tooth and the whole mouth area, is that correct? That's correct. Uh, Periodontal means around the tooth, and so all the structures around the tooth become affected by the the plaque bacteria and their byproducts. So the uh, gum tissue uh, and the bone and the periodontal ligament, which Uh, surrounds the tooth and keeps it supportive in the bone. All of those are affected and are destroyed gradually by the bacteria. Well, I know when I used to work uh, as a vet tech and we would have an animal come in to be examined and taken care of, often after they had their teeth cleaned, some of the teeth just simply fell out because sometimes that calculus was the only thing holding it in their mouth. Sure, and that's a common problem. When, When you think about a pet that has teeth that are loose enough to actually fall out of the mouth, you you have to uh, think back at why that's occurring. And in order for those teeth to fall out, the bone that surrounds them has to be destroyed significantly. So we may have, on a two-rooted tooth, we may have destroyed up to leaving 20% of bone. In other words, 80% of the bone has been destroyed in order for that tooth to get to the point where it's loose. Unfortunately, Many times those are the teeth and only the teeth that are approached and consequently we have a lot of other teeth there that may be getting to that point that need to be evaluated and really the only way to do that is with dental radiographs or dental x-ray. Wow, x-rays for for the teeth. Are they the same as when I go to my dentist? How do you get the, the pet to hold still for this? Well, that actually has to be done under anesthesia. The same uh, little sensor Uh, in our case, uh, which is a digital sensor that that hooks up to a computer, has to be inside the mouth in order to get the detailed images that we need to be able to make our evaluation. So the pet has to be under anesthesia for that. Okay, because they aren't going to open wide and say, ah, and hold still for that. No, and if they chew the sensor, the sensor is very expensive. (laughs) Well, take me through a routine dentistry. Is it the same for a dog and a cat? And after you you bring them in and, and you anesthetize them, I know people... Say, for instance, possum at 18 years old, is there going to be some risk because the kitty cat or the dog is is quite a bit older? The age in itself 
Amy is is certainly a, a a factor to consider. We expect to see changes related to age uh, from a chemistry standpoint, uh, much more so in older pets than we do in younger pets. In other words, we we do blood samples to evaluate the pet health, and we look at chemistries and we look at the blood uh, cells and determine if indeed there are problems that we need to address. And in that respect, if um, if, a, if an 18-year-old cat like Possum had a perfectly normal blood profile versus an 8-year-old cat that had uh, some type of kidney disease, we would much rather take, take that risk on an 18-year-old than we would that other, that other pet. Okay, so they would come in and the veterinarian would, would do some blood tests and listen to the heart and put them under the anesthesia. Now what? Once that, uh, once that happens, then uh, generally the tartar and all of the debris is cleaned away so that we can actually see what we're, what we're looking at. And then we use periodontal probing and dental x-rays to evaluate the mouth to see what kind of changes might be under the gum, which is really where we're concerned with. The, the disease under the gum will progress, and that's, that's where our infection lies, consequently, uh, what's on the crown is minimal compared to what we can't see. So we would do our evaluation and we would chart all the changes on a uh, dental chart. And then once that is complete, then we would call the pet owner, let them know if there's any problems that need to be addressed, and then uh, get their permission to proceed. So the cleaning all that off, is that the same type of equipment that my dentist uses on me, that ultrasonic thing? And do you Absolutely. do fluoride treatments and antibiotics and all of that good stuff? Well, the equipment is exactly the same. Many of the uh, components of our cleaning are with actually human instruments and human uh, electronics. So uh, very much the same in that respect. We don't really use fluoride as much because fluoride mainly is for uh, preventing cavities. And as we talked about a little bit before, we really don't see true cavities in dogs and cats for the most part. So the fluoride uh, we would not use, but everything else is, is pretty much the same. We could almost call uh, dental disease a hidden disease in dog and cats if it's below the gum line and you literally have to dig to find out what's going on. Absolutely. Well, we know that they're going to possibly have stinky breath. Do all pets with dental disease have bad breath? Uh, what, are, what are some other signs that might alert their owners that, hey, you know, something else is going on here? Well, that, that's one of the, the biggest questions and one of the biggest dilemmas that we run into because pets hide their discomfort very, very well. And until they become extremely sick, uh, often we don't see signs. Uh, probably the biggest sign of periodontal disease is no signs, uh, which is sad because that delays treatment because the, the pet owner doesn't detect that there's a problem. So in that respect, uh, a good uh, veterinary exam is paramount in determining whether there is disease uh, because we commonly don't see any changes in the pet, especially at home. Uh, other things that you might see that, that we very infrequently see are uh, trouble eating, or dropping food out of the mouth. Uh, sometimes uh, if, if it's very severe, and uh, this would, again, this would be an unusual case, if it's very severe, we might see a bloody saliva, or we may even see uh, teeth being lost uh, in, in the home. But those, those things are very unusual. It's usually uh, either odor or uh, nothing at all that we see. 
Okay, because I, I know in, in doing a little research on the subject um, before our interview here, there was some indication that a lot of times pet owners just think, ah, oh, well, you know, Fluffy's getting old, she's sleeping a lot, it's just old age, she's not as active, those kinds of things. And then after, after having the teeth cleaned and, and feeling better, suddenly, oh my gosh, it's like a kitten again, or the, the puppy's playing again. It's amazing. Is that really uh, something that happens quite often? I'm glad you brought that up, Amy. That, that really is uh, an important point. When we see pets that are older, they do have nonspecific signs that we really can't attribute to the mouth um, specifically. But if we can determine that there is a problem, let's say that there, we get a, a, a pet in that has a tooth that's um, abscessed or diseased, secondary to periodontal disease that's loose, uh, there, there's got to be discomfort there. And once we can resolve that problem with extraction in this case and clean up all that diseased tissue and suture the gum back, we have eliminated the, the source of the infection and the source of the pain and many times uh, we get the pet back in for recheck in two weeks and the owners are exactly of that mindset. They have determined indeed that the, the pet has been lethargic for all these weeks or months just because they've had this problem and now they're they're a new pet essentially. One other point leading to that, we're talking about some of the infection and the things that are originating in the mouth. That can spill over then into the bloodstream and affect the organs of the body and cause kind of uh, a cascade effect. It's not just about the mouth then. That's correct. And, and some of the work in that respect in our field has been done at uh, Colorado State uh, with Linda DeBose. And she sh- had actually showed uh, a dramatic increase in the pathology or the, the disease changes in the kidney, liver, lung, and heart in patients, uh, dogs specifically, that had periodontal disease versus dogs that did not. Most of the, the research that's been done in humans uh, is associates those changes, those systemic changes with similar uh, things, and the research is very extensive in the human field, but in our field it's, it's not. It's limited to a few studies that Dr. DeBose has done, and uh, we do know that, that cats and dogs that have uh, periodontal disease do have a systemic or uh, other other disease potential. Okay, so if you have a pet that has bad breath or has some of these vague signs, uh, it's it's not just about getting the teeth taken care of. It's it's a whole body issue that uh, can lead to more dangerous things down the road for your pet. So just a regular veterinary visit that always opens the mouth and looks inside is quite important, would you say? Yes, yes, absolutely. If, if there is any question at all, uh, and even if there's not any question, if we just don't have the capacity a lot of times at home with, with magnification and lighting and, and experience looking in the mouth to determine problems, a veterinary visit on a regular basis, uh, and especially uh, an oral examination is, is indicated at least once a year, if not more frequently. Well, this, this is really interesting. I want to continue our conversation with Dr. Beckman after a few messages from the sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Pets can be a wonderful addition to your life. Because they're a member of the family, keeping them healthy and happy is important. 
Pet Life Radio presents The Pet Doctor with veterinary media consultant and veterinarian, Dr. Bernadine Cruz. Whether you have a dog, cat, reptile, or rabbit, you'll find answers for your pets straight from the vets. On demand every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back, and again, we're speaking with Dr. Brett Beckman. He is the president of the American Veterinary Dental Society, and this is a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating veterinarians, veterinary technicians, and the public about the importance of regular veterinary dental care for pets. I wanted to let you guys know that the AVDS works every year in conjunction with Hills Pet Nutrition to increase public awareness of the importance of regular oral care by promoting February as Pet Dental Health Month in veterinary clinics all through the United States. Now, Dr. Beckman, thank you for taking the time to join us. Oh, thanks for having me, Amy. I wanted to get a little bit into, I know you are a boarded specialist in a number of veterinary issues as well as pain management. So my local veterinarian does the dentistries on my cats and dogs. So what does a specialist do? What does a dental practice like yours typically do compared to the general or small animal practices? In one respect, Amy, we do treat the the exact same major disease, and that's periodontal disease. And 80% of dogs and cats three years of age or older have that problem. So as you can imagine, that's a very large part of uh, our practice as specialists, as well as the the general practitioner who does uh, dentistry and and dentistry cleaning. So to put it in this light, we probably see 80% of our cases involving periodontal disease, a veterinary practitioner uh, sees probably 90%. So our main disease that we're treating is uh, very much the same disease. The difference lies in uh, many times the degree at which we can save teeth as specialists versus uh, straight going straight to extraction. There are some 
periodontal procedures that we can do to actually grow uh, new tissue attachment and bone in areas where bone has been lost in some cases to save teeth rather than having to extract them. Oh, now that's that's amazing. So it's not just root canals and pulling teeth, then you, you can actually stimulate tissue to regrow? Absolutely. And they, we drive a lot of our knowledge through the human field, and they have been doing uh, just that for years. And we're, we're able to actually get to the point where we can, if, if it's the correct type of uh, disease and the correct type of bone loss, we can, we can do some pretty amazing things with, with regrowing bone and, and tissue. That's incredible. Now, I wanted to mention uh, another aspect of this because folks that hear about it may tend to giggle. Orthodontia for pets. Now, that's, that's something, it's not just um, making sure that they have a pretty smile because I understand in the AKC and confirmation show trials, you ain't supposed to change the dog. You know, that's kind of illegal. But orthodontia has some, some other aspects to it. Could you tell us about that? Yes, Amy, and I'm glad you brought that up as well because that, that's kind of a, um, a, a mis, uh, misinterpreted part of our field in that we, we do not cosmetically alter bites by moving teeth. The, the only real reason that we would even consider doing so is if there is tooth-on-tooth uh, tooth or tooth-on-tissue contact that's causing either a functional problem with chewing or pain or both. And many times we attempt to actually uh, dissuade uh, uh, pet parents from making that decision to move the teeth because we have to place devices that are present in the mouth and they have to be there for a long enough period to move teeth. And consequently, that can be a, a disruption. It's not really uncomfortable, but it's, it's just a disruption to the pet. And so we, we'd like to maybe, instead of extracting a tooth, we may reduce its height and then treat the pulp so that we can maintain that tooth without having to extract and also avoid at the same time getting into the orthodontic movement of teeth. Oh, that because I've seen some pictures that uh, where the poor dog, as he chewed, was actually poking a hole in the roof of his mouth, and it's it just makes you shudder to to think that that the poor dog might have that sort of pain. And well, actually, speaking of pain, you do a lot with the the pain management. Is this something that would be routine in a in a dental uh, aspect, giving pain meds after uh, having the pet anesthetized and the teeth cleaned and all of that? My mouth aches sometimes after going to the dentist. Actually, the, the uh, pain management in our case is generally reserved for anything that we do surgically. Uh, if we make an incision or if we extract a tooth, we're going to manipulate tissue and we're going to induce discomfort. So you know, we, we would, uh, just for a routine teeth cleaning, we would not. But if we were approaching a periodontal case or a fractured tooth uh, that we had to extract, or uh, in some cases we get chronic stomatitis in cats and dogs, mainly in cats, that is a very painful problem. And we even go to the extent of managing that pain for up to 24 hours prior to even thinking about going in there and and doing surgery by uh, hitting that, that whole pain physiology from different aspects. And what I mean by that is we would we would uh, have the patient in the hospital if we have the luxury of being uh, in a 24-hour facility, and we would start a infusion of pain drugs intravenously for 24 hours before we start surgery. 
And what that does, it knocks down that pain response and minimizes it so that when we go in there and create more pain with our surgery, it, it's much, much easier to handle postoperatively than it would be if we did not do that. And one, one good example is uh, cats with stomatitis. They are extremely painful. Uh, and stomatitis causes a, a very heightened response to the gum tissue where that gum tissue is just red and irritated, often bleeding adjacent to the teeth and even extends to the back part of the mouth uh, in the pharynx as well. And so these cats come in and they're very painful. And if we don't take into consideration that we're going in and we're going to extract the teeth that are causing the problem and that we are going to have to manage that that patient postoperatively and and try to get them to eat, it, it becomes very difficult if we don't take that into consideration and manage that pain so that when they wake up, they feel good and they can, they can eat uh, fairly quickly after surgery. And speaking of the stomatitis, I believe that's more common in certain breeds of cats or in family lines of cats. Is that correct? Uh, it is. We see that more commonly. It appears in uh, some of the more exotic uh, cats. Uh, the Somali cats are, are uh, some in particular that, that seem to be overrepresented there. And uh, we, we seem to think that there may be uh, a correlation with uh, severity in, in uh, conjunction with one of the viruses, and that is the Khaleesi virus. Uh, we see that the cats that are positive for Khaleesi virus don't do quite as well as the cats that are, that are uh, negative for that virus uh, post-surgery. What is this type of uh, routine dental care at the veterinarian? What's that going to cost us? Uh, it, it varies uh, depending on where you are located in the country, just as all, all veterinary services uh, would, would vary. Uh, someone in Los Angeles versus someone in a, a small town, uh, obviously the cost of living would, would dictate that. So it's very, very hard to really pinpoint a cost, and I'll predicate that by saying, it, it, in essence, the anesthetic-related costs uh, are, are the major cost to a dental procedure. The dental procedure uh, for routine cleaning uh, would be minimal, uh, you know, anywhere from, depending on where you are, 50 to maybe $115 for the cleaning portion and everything involved with that, whereas the anesthetic portion... Uh, with all the drugs, the monitors, the um, anesthetic machines and gases uh, add up uh, fairly quickly. And so a 30-minute procedure might, might cost anywhere from uh, the hundred, uh, low hundreds to even uh, three, four, five hundred dollars depending on the uh, location as well. Wow. So it is going to be to an owner's benefit to do some preventative care so that it doesn't end up being such a big problem. Absolutely. And that's very hard to do. Well, and that's that kind of leads me to the next part of our, our conversation here. I know that I'm sure that a lot of folks have been advised by the veterinarians to brush the dog's or the cat's teeth. Now, seriously, how many people are going to do that? I mean, they want to lose a finger? I, you open my cat's mouth and stick something inside? I mean, are, are we nuts or what? How do you brush your pet's teeth? Well, even in the, the, the most, um, the, the best-intentioned pet parents, who have uh, a lot of motivation and would take the time to daily brush the pet's teeth, even in, even at best we have a, a very minimal acceptance by the by the pet. So it makes it very difficult, uh, even with the people that 
that would like to but just can't because the pet won't tolerate it either aggressively or um, maybe if it's uh, an, an older uh, pet owner that just cannot physically manage that, that individual to keep them still enough to do the procedure. So there are some things that we can do that kind of kind of walks around the, the issue of having to brush daily, which really is the best recommendation and the most effective uh, to, to just eliminate that plaque that causes the whole problem. If we can't do that, there are some uh, different different products out there and very uh, wide range of products, including uh, chews that have enzymes impregnated within the, the structure of the chew that actually kill the bacteria. Uh, we have uh, some, some different solutions, uh, either a dog water uh, that's all natural that the pet consumes all the time that uh, can kill bacteria to additives to the water uh, that also do the same thing. Uh, and there's also... Um, Fairly recently, a wax-like compound that tends to repel plaque that can be placed on the clean tooth and serves as kind of a barrier uh, against accumulation of plaque on the tooth and gum surface. So there's a lot of things out there uh, that can be used. I will say, and I, 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 uh, I want to make this, this clear as well, a little bit off the point, but I will say that anything that's hard that the pet chews, um, especially rawhide, uh, cow hooves and some of the products out there that are actually hard can fracture teeth with, uh, over time. And so those things that do help in, in uh, shearing some of that plaque off of the tooth and, and gum surface just by the mere chewing of it can also be harmful as well. Okay, I know some dogs like to chew ice, and I've heard that can be a problem as well. It, it sure can. Okay, and and I know what about with with my dog? I've got, um, of course, he's he's got a big mouth. It's, he's a German Shepherd, so I, I put one of his toys in his mouth and close his mouth around it, and then I can get my my finger inside, at least on the outside, with some dental toothpaste that's chicken flavored, and he loves that kind of stuff. That's is that something we can develop? I mean, I started as a puppy, or you start as a kitten. That's going to be a little easier than starting when they're you know eighty or ninety pound dog. That that's true. If we can acclimate them as puppies or kittens before they have a chance to really establish their place in the household um, by maybe placing them in the same place that, especially in the case of small dogs and cats, and on an elevated surface like a washer or dryer, where they feel a little bit uh, less likely to try to run away and then give them something that is pleasurable for them, like the flavored toothpaste, each time that they get up on that surface. And then once we've established that, they know when they get up on that surface they're going to get something that they like, then we can start gradually introducing uh, the, the manipulation of the teeth and gums with the finger and then uh, progress from that point to the brush. And many times they do quite well with that. Okay. And I know for, for folks that aren't willing to go that route, oh, my dog loves carrots, You know, chewing on carrots. My cat, about every week or two weeks when I'm having a piece of steak, I give her a little piece of steak so she actually has to chew something rather than, you know, munching on kibble, which, you know, actually, is it not true that people have this belief that, oh, I feed my pet dry food, so that's, that's going to solve all the problems. That doesn't help all that much, really, does it? Well, there, there's a specific 
a food, or there's there's several specific foods that have been approved by the Veterinary Oral Health Council, which is a group of very uh, intelligent veterinary dentists and uh, researchers who actually perform some of the same tests for measuring plaque reduction that the companies do, and they document or they don't document that indeed what the companies say on their labels actually is what happens in real life. And those foods that have been approved by the Veterinary Oral Health Council are on their website, and they actually do have, uh, and, and in some cases quite significantly, uh, have characteristics that help to decrease plaque and tartar uh, just by eating those as, as the primary food. Oh, well, that's great information to know. That's sort of painless for the pet parent and the pet as well. So folks, particularly if they have a pet that's prone to this, the greyhounds, the small dogs, or some of those lines of cats, they can ask their local veterinarian about these for recommendation. Yes, and they can also uh, go on any search engine and um, type in VOHC or Veterinary Oral Health Council and go to their website and actually view all of the products that have been approved by them. Great. That was my next question was where can listeners go to find out more information about pet dental health? The other places that they they could go, uh, the American Veterinary Dental College uh, has a website and that is um, www.avdc.org. That's an excellent place for uh, not only veterinarians but also for pet owners as well. Uh, to learn more about some dental problems and the approach to dental disease. Uh, the AVDS also has a website, the American Veterinary Dental Society, and that website it can be uh, probably easier put in AVDS in the search engine than me telling you the, the, the lengthy. Uh, so AVDS or American Veterinary Dental Society in, in uh, one of your, uh, uh, your searches, and you can, you can go right to it. And that, that as well has a lot of information for pet owners. Okay. And, and I think also uh, PetDental.com for the uh, Pet Dental Health Month has uh, a website with some, some of these resources too. Absolutely. AVDS uh, does uh, work in conjunction with Hills Pet Nutrition uh, to promote and organize National Pet Dental Health Month every February. And that, uh, that's probably one of the best websites. Great, Doctor. Well, I thank you so much for being with us. We are out of time, but I'd like to thank Dr. Beckman and the producers for making pet peeves possible. Now, remember, folks, 80% of your dogs and cats, if he's three years old, he's already got some dental problems. So don't hesitate to get those choppers looked at and find out your information at www.petdental, all one word, Or better yet, talk to your own veterinarian. Since it's National Pet Dental Health Month, your local clinics may even be running some specials. So I dare you to join me next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio for the next installment of What Hisses You Off. Email me suggestions or post a note on my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. You can get transcripts that way, too. Woofs and purrs until next time. Keep your pets smiling with fresh-smelling and shiny, clean teeth, because you sure don't want them to get peeved. 
That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.